WBEZ is supported by Chicago Humanities, presenting live events with historians Doris Kearns Goodwin and John Meacham, comedian Reggie Watts, and filmmaker Miranda July, and artists Hebrew Brantley and Amanda Williams in conversation. Plus, MSNBC chief correspondent Ali Velshi on small yet powerful acts of courage throughout history. Tickets for these events and more conversations on arts, culture, and current affairs at chicagohumanities.org. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Plus-size fashion is on the ascent. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. 20 years ago, well, even 10 years ago, there weren't a lot of options for stylish plus-size clothing. You had Lane Bryant and Torrid, or a men's big and tall store, and that was kind of it. Nowadays, more brands are rolling out plus-size lines and embracing body diversity. So today, as part of our series, Bias Against Bodies, we're talking about size inclusivity and access to clothing. To hear the latest on inclusive fashion, we're talking to Natalie Craig, a local plus-size fashion blogger and influencer. You may know her as Natalie in the City. Also with us is Gianluca Russo, author of The Power of Plus. Gianluca, where did you get your interest in fashion? Fashion's always kind of played a role in my life, but it often took a backseat just because I didn't have the options to be able to make it a core part of my personality growing up. My first kind of memory in life is watching Kristen Seriano win Project Runway when I was in elementary school. And I think since then, the seed has always kind of been planted. But it wasn't until after college when I saw Teen Vogue kind of go through this very public revolution where they shifted their content to embrace bodies and identity um, in fashion that I saw the way that I could have a role there and how my body could be accepted with that larger discourse. And so that really opened my eyes to the possibilities and kind of put all the pieces into place. Yeah, I love that story. How about you, Natalie? What power does fashion have in your life? Clothing has always been really important to me, and I found it to be really critical to my confidence when I was growing up, even though it was really hard for me to fit into clothes that my peers were wearing. I always had to shop in a different section, but that didn't stop me. You know, I would sew in DIY my clothes so that they would fit me well. And I've really always used clothing and fashion as just really a booster for my confidence and a shield almost. And I found confidence through clothing. I found just this liberating feeling through dressing the way that I want to. And it still carries true to this day for me. Yeah. I, I, well, I can see it. First of all, you're beaming right now as Thank you talk you. about <laughs> uh, fashion. But let's make sure we're all on the same page, Natalie. Can you define plus size? Yes. So plus size for me is a size 14 or above. Um, And I think that's just the standard term in fashion. Jean-Luca, you might have a different definition or um, more extensive, I think, uh, since you have really worked in the fashion industry. What are your thoughts, Jean-Luca? I think right now in society, it is a size 14 or above. I think there was a time where it was a size 8 and above, and I'm glad we no longer live in that time period. Um, but I think right now it is a size 14 and above is how I would define it as well. Can you give us a, a history lesson as well? Where did size inclusivity in, in fashion actually start, and, and how did we get here? Yeah, it's definitely been a long journey. I think the the kind of origin to what we have today goes back to 1904 when Lane Bryant first launched and kind of the 
charge that they led over the past century. Um, and it kind of quickly spiraled here and there. It would have high points where you would see a lot of conversation about it in the media, and then it would have low points where it goes years where no one would kind of talk about it. But Lane Bryan was able to really start to develop this market and start to develop this community of women who wanted to shop, who had never had the chance before. Uh, and so over the years, that continued to grow, and I think it really picked up around the 1960s, 1970s, when we saw the rise of different feminist-related movements, the fat acceptance movement, which was all about kind of liberating bodies and more than just self-love. It was really about dismantling all these systemic oppressions against bigger bodies. Um, and so we saw all these kind of movements begin where people could find their community, find their voice, find people to band together with. And I think as that happened more is when we saw more change. Mm-hmm. Because brands saw that there were people who wanted these clothes, and they could see the demand firsthand from the people who were protesting and using their voice. So I think the 1960s and 70s picked up that pace again, and it continued. Yeah. And then in the 80s into the 90s, you have the rise of first plus-size models, who at the time were size six and eight. So not what we would consider plus-size today, but back then what was considered curve or plus-size. Yeah. And so they kind of led the charge as well. And so it was kind of a piece-by-piece journey. And I think what put that last piece there was the rise of social media, because that kind of gave us the tool to connect with each other in a way we never had before. So we could no longer be silenced by designers, but could really use our voices together as one to demand a change. I see you nodding there, Natalie, when you mentioned social media. That's your world. Right? Yeah, I, I started my fashion blog, which is kind of, you know, like not a lot of people blog anymore, but I started my fashion blog in 2013 at the beginning of the year. And it started as a way for me to just express my love for clothing and it, you know, as social media grew and the rise of the content creator and influencer grew, that was something that naturally kind of took off for me. But I found power in being able to connect with people. And I started receiving emails from people all around the world saying, like, you have my body. It's so nice to see how you wear clothes. It's so nice to see where you shop. And that power of connection there, it really, really sparked a flame under everything to be able to, you know, encourage and ask for inclusivity and ask for us to be represented. And like Jean-Luc said, you know, hold these brands and designers accountable. Like the world is changing and you need to reflect that. And social media really just did that for all of us. And I want to be clear, you've got a big social media presence, right? We're talking over 100,000 followers on Instagram. Mm -hmm. You talk about these positives, but I imagine there are some negatives that come with it, too. Of course. The Internet can be a cruel place. And, you know, people, when they're hiding behind keyboards or their phone, people can be mean. But you know what? I find so many more positives in it and just that connection and the ability to influence change and make somebody see themselves in a different way or make someone see something that's possible for them, like this outfit or something I'm wearing. It's it's an incredible feeling. And I mean, the positives outweigh the negatives every time, especially when we talk about how far social media has moved the fashion industry forward. Mm-hmm. In the intro to your book, John Luca, you, you say, quote, fashion and diet culture are closely intertwined. Tell us how. Fashion has always been able to use diet culture as a means to selling clothing. And it's worked for so long. And they became so used to it. And so it was never just about, you're going to like these clothes, buy them. It was, these clothes are going to make you feel better. They're going to make you look like 
X, Y, and Z model. And diet culture was always a tool that fashion could use to convince us that we needed to shop. And I think the bodies became the trends. They are the things that we aspire to. And then the clothing was the reward. Mm -hmm. And so diet culture really kind of shaped the way that fashion was manufactured and sold and showcased uh, on the runways and in campaigns. We got to the point where that started to change. And fashion realized that we can't get away with that as well anymore. So we need to get a little more strategic with how we sell diet culture. And I think that's the point we're at now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I know that you've got a personal experience with dieting and diet culture. How did that shape your life? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I discussed in the opening of the book, too. It's something that has been in my life since as long as I can remember. Since elementary school, I have been on a diet and have tried every single one. Elementary Um, school? Yeah, since elementary school. I think the first one I remember was I was in third grade. I'm sure before that it was even on my mind. Um, But Ever since then, I had been on a diet, and they progressively got worse. You know, when you're young, it's little things. It's not getting the same snacks here and there. It's being told that you can't have that or you are having too much. And then it kind of progresses, and it got to a point in high school where I did develop an eating disorder and went through this battle um, on my own. And it's a very difficult position to be in when you're hurting yourself, but you're being complimented by everyone else because Mm -hmm. they think you look great, and they think you're losing weight and on this health journey when really you're doing something incredibly unhealthy. And so you're battling yourself, but you're being congratulated for it. And so it messes with your mind to the point now where a decade later, I still struggle with that every day. And it plays such a fundamental role in my everyday. And I think that's true for so many people. We are kind of raised to, when you're plus size, to believe that one day you can escape it. And you're put on this journey to escape it. And that's just not the truth. But it's so hard to rewire your mindset to believe otherwise. So this is still an everyday battle for you. How are you coping? Yeah, I think for me, coping is all about finding community and being able to find the resources and voices I need to support myself through the difficult moments. Because I think once you can find people who are going through something similar, I've had a similar life journey, and there are so many people who have had a similar life journey, who have gone through this kind of generational diet culture, um, you're able to at least feel seen. Even if it's a difficult battle, you can feel like you're not alone on that battle. So, Natalie, it seems like things have evolved, as we've mm. mentioned, but yes. you talked earlier about how you had to get pretty creative with you know, limited options. You talked about DIYing yeah. your stuff, right? When you first started blogging, talk more about what that's looked like. Yeah, I mean, it was very hard to find clothing right off the rack that would fit me. And so I had to get creative. I had to maybe shop a size up or shop in the misses or um, the plus size section when, you know, maybe I was in between sizes and kind of alter that clothing to fit me in a way or, you know, cut up clothing or hold it together with um, with safety pins. I mean, just things that weren't comfortable, but I had to make it work to make these clothes fit. And, um, you know, we talked about diet and how that kind of plays into plus size fashion. And I, I went to school for journalism and this was around the time when I was learning about plus size fashion and how it affected me and the opportunities out there. And I interviewed a designer who said that plus size women, the, the perception has always been that their bodies are not forever, that their bodies are temporary. And that's why plus size clothing hasn't 
come as far. And that's why plus size clothing isn't given much attention. And interesting because that's the ideal is that the plus size like, body oh, you're not like, going to stay there. Exactly. Like Jean-Luc said, there's this idea that eventually, maybe someday you'll be able to escape it. And so, you know, I, I kind of always I had that mindset, too. And I would just say, you know, like I have to shop in this section for now. I have to alter these clothes now, now. for me and, mm-hmm. and everything just kind of has to fit in a way. And so it, I was never really able to build like a, a capsule wardrobe. And I mean, I was younger, but I didn't have those pieces because I kind of always felt like, you know, my body is temporary or, you know, shopping in this section is temporary yeah. until I'm not able to fit in this size anymore. And has your mindset shifted? Oh, absolutely. How so? I, well, I I now know today that I am deserving of fabulous, well-fitting clothes and there are brands who are providing that for us. And it's really, really, it's really powerful that these brands have, you know, inclusive options and fashion forward options for plus size people, which has not always been the case. But that really helps me realize and other people realize too, that our bodies are not temporary. Like we can exist in a plus size body and a plus size body can be amazing. And it can also be well dressed and it can also be fierce and fabulous and high fashion. And I don't accept anything less. If something doesn't fit me, it's not for me. I'm not going to try and make it work or try to squeeze into it or right. try to lose weight. No to more fit safety in pins. And no, no, no. Yeah. I deserve clothes that fit my body the way it is today, the way it is tomorrow. It's that's my mindset. Yes. And I don't put anything on my body that doesn't feel fabulous. First of all, your dress. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you I wish so everyone much. could see it right now. Thank you. It's Thank so, you. so gorgeous. John Luca. Who do you see driving these changes that we're talking about? Um, you know, I think right now what's driving it is the the community, like Natalie said as well. Um, but I, I think what really where we're at right now is we've spent so much time developing that community, developing our voices. Fashion has paid attention, but I think the kind of passion behind that is what continues to drive this forward. There's a lot of kind of issues still. And I think Natalie can attest this as well. I don't know if designers understand really who this customer is, how best to serve her. I think we're at a standstill in plus size fashion right now because of that question. But I think what's going to drive it forward and continue to drive us all forward yeah. is never forgetting that we spent too long being silenced and we should have never felt that way. And we never need to feel that way again if we continue to use our voice to make that necessary change. You know, speaking of, of a standstill, we, we've been talking about how we've come a long way. But recently, big brands like Old Navy and Target, they've been stagnating. What can you tell us there? I mean, as I, I don't work in the business of fashion. I am an influencer. I am a blogger. I am a plus size person who loves clothes. And so I, I have discussions with professors who have been in the business of fashion, been in the business of making clothing, been on the technical side. And, you know, everyone has an argument for like why plus size clothing may not be the easiest to create or they have their ideas. But personally, when I look at brands that, you know, are regressing or not being as inclusive or kind of taking extended sizing out of stores. I mean, I just simply look at it's you're going to become irrelevant to so many people. I mean, the average person is a plus size in America. And I think that they're missing out on a huge opportunity. And I do kind of feel like we've come a long way, but 
in certain ways we're starting to regress and, and go backwards. And it's really discouraging, but I, like I said, I'm at a point in my life where yeah. I don't put anything in my body if it doesn't fit me well and it doesn't look amazing. And the brands who cater to me are going to continue to get my support and the support of millions of people. Mm-hmm. Old Navy had a huge campaign to start carrying plus sizes in stores, and then they quietly rolled it back over the course of 2022. Mm -hmm. Uh, Target led the charge for size inclusivity back in the 2010s, and they have since not made much progress there. Gianluca, we have mostly been talking for this conversation about women's fashion. How does any of this look different for men? Or does it? Yeah, I think for men's fashion, it looks worse simply because the conversation is newer. Women's fashion has had the past three decades to advance to the point we are now, which is why we saw so much more momentum, so much more community being able to drive the force. Whereas for men, it's a newer conversation. It's a conversation that more erupted in around 2015 till now. It's been slow picking up. I don't know if there's the community support behind it yet. Men have always had a different relationship with fashion to begin with, of course. And even for men who are interested in fashion, you're often told that that's a quote-unquote feminine thing. And you're kind of shamed for thinking that. Uh, you could be a part of it. And I think that stigma is so prevalent and a reason why men kind of turn off from the conversation of body positivity as a whole. But I think in terms of fashion, it's something that's so new. Men have often, of course, had custom garments or been able to find things and make it work and not necessarily want certain really fashionable options, not have their eyes open to that. So it's just something that's newer, and because it's newer, it's going to take a while before we get there. We don't have many options now, and I think it'll be that way for a while. But I think what's different is we can use the blueprint that women used over the past 30 years as our pathway to hopefully speed up the process towards getting more options and getting designers to pay attention. What are some of your favorite brands, Natalie, and, and designers and influencers? Like, who is doing it right out there? Yeah, I mean, I think... I just created a plus size brand shopping guide and I spent weeks researching this and I came up with more than 50 brands, which amazing, amazing, shocking, incredible. Right. And so some of the brands that I was most amazed by were um, fashion brand company, Loud Bodies, Eloquy. I mean, I feel like every day I'm in Eloquy head to toe because I also have a corporate job and I feel like they make clothes for someone who wants to, you know, have a professional office job, but then also go out and party and be fashion forward. And um, I feel like they're just doing it really well. And I always look to the pioneers of, you know, plus size fashion and um, influence like Gabby Gregg from Gabby Fresh, um, Kelly Augustine, who really is just changing, you know, the the world and the game in terms of plus size styling and, and editorial and um, those those are really the people yeah. that I look to. That's a great list. John Luca, what would you add to that list? And and what are they doing right? And, and talk about what you want to see more of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for me, from a more like kind of designer perspective, who I look to, of course, Kristen Seriano, I think has led a charge and been able to sustain that for his business and grow from it. So exponentially, I think that for me is so inspiring. Um, I love Tanya Taylor, who's a contemporary designer, and she has been able to do similar and really find her community. Um, and like Natalie said, there's so many brands. Eloquy is a great one. Uh, there's a lot of plus size specific brands that uh, really cater to this community. I think they're doing great. What I think 
we need to see more of is people understanding who that customer is. I think for a long time they served Plus, as this monolith that could deal with scraps and just have the same kind of styles every season. I think we've gotten to the point now where people like Natalie and I have been able to go on style journeys and have very different styles and want options that support those. And so brands need to be able to see that you can do plus size in this style. You can do it in this style, and it'll still sell, sell and have a market. And I hope designers pay more attention to that, and I hope they pay more attention to diversity of body type as well. I think they've gravitated yeah. towards representing one body type, and it's really limited them into seeing the possibilities. But I think when you open your eyes to the spectrum of bodies out there, you really see how this is such a vast amount of people with a vast amount of styles, and how you can really make a difference by catering to all of them. Even in 2023, it can be hard to find good plus-size clothes. There are often fewer options for more money than straight-size clothes. So curating a personal style can be difficult. But a local vintage market wants to change that. Jovana Savic is the founder of Thick Mall. And Megan Kirby is a local writer and wrote about Thick Mall for the New York Times. Am I right that this is the first time that you're meeting each other in person? Yeah, we've talked on the phone, but this is the first time face-to-face. Yes, very exciting. We both have curly hair. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I noticed, too. Wow. <laughs> so, Yovana, tell us more about Thick Mall. What is it, and, and where did you get the idea in the first place? Thick Mall is essentially a market for size L and up clothing. Um, but the idea came from me always having been a fat person that likes to dress up and has what I consider like a very developed sense of personal style Mm -hmm. and constantly feeling like I couldn't shop in real life. I had to shop online. When I was younger, I I would go to thrift stores all the time. And that was cool for me. It was like kind of finding a, I don't know, an Easter egg. (laughs) (laughs) So what did online stores offer that the stores in person did not? Um, My size. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's the most important thing. I'm also six feet tall. So if there was something in my size that wasn't in my length, which, as you can see right now, my pants are at the top of my boots, which is why I wear cowboy boots. Ah. It's like it's still an issue. But it has informed my personal style, like my limitations in size. Um, But then also online, there was just more variety. I felt like, especially as a teenager, any store that did have my size, you know, shout out to Torrid and Lane Bryant, the early 2000 champions of plus size fashion. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it was like, I don't know, like zebra print, you know, it was like, oh, well, you're a a fat lass. You must want to look like this and only like this. And I was like, but I don't know. I I listen to like post-punk and new wave music and I'm 16. I kind of just want to wear like black mesh and fishnets and there's nothing for me at the mall. So it was either online or thrift stores. So with that in mind, talk to me about the experience that you want shoppers at Thick Mall to have. Yeah. So I think the subject of fatness is like, it's still really sensitive, even though I think now more than ever, fat people are feeling empowered and hopefully loving themselves. But it's, we have a long way to go. And because of that, I think a lot of us are dealing with our own internalized fat phobia and not feeling comfortable in spaces that are not meant for us or we feel that they're not meant for us. Um, so when somebody comes into Thick Mall, wherever it may be, 
I, I want them to see other bodies like theirs. And I don't want them to immediately feel like they have to go to the back of the rack. Well, I want to play a clip of a voicemail that we got here at Reset. This is listener Marty from the Chicago suburbs. I am a plus size and a tall, plus meaning size 14 or over. Most tall brands stop at size 14 or 16. So if you think it's tough finding decent, fitting, fashionable clothes when you're a plus size, try being a plus and a tall. Does what Marty's saying sound familiar, Yovana? Marty, you have been you took a long stroll inside of my brain. <laughs> I deeply yeah. relate. <laughs> so Megan, you covered the market for for the New York Times. Where did you first hear about it? Yeah, so I had heard about the market from some of my cool fat friends in the city. People had been telling me that I should go. But I actually didn't pitch this story. I got it through a connection with the editor that she was looking for a Chicago writer because she had heard about the market. And I said, yes, of course, I would love to write for the New York Times. And she called me and told me what the assignment was, plus size vintage market. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm your girl. This is the exact sort of thing I think about and write about and an event I was planning on going to anyway. So it was perfect. Well, you say it's something that you think about, right? Mm -hmm. talk, to, talk to me about your experience. What has that looked like for you, shopping over the years? Yeah, shopping over the years, much like Yovina, Torrid, Lane Bryant, yeah. um, Old Navy, mm -hmm. have been places that I really lean on. But yeah, Torrid in the mid-aughts, a lot of zebra, cheetah, skull prints, uh, rockabilly style that I felt in college I kind of had to adopt because it was all that was really available to me. But it is nice when you grow up having less options, I think it makes you really develop a personal style. Um, and now that I'm in my 30s and I know what I like to wear and I know what looks good on me, um, it makes me feel a lot more confident when I go to a thrift store, or when I go to Thick Mall, that I can find the things that are going to make me feel good. And also it was really powerful to go to Thick Mall and be surrounded by so many fashionable fat people who were really celebrating and having a good time and not just shopping, but talking and having a drink and hanging out. Yeah, that sounds great. What kind of feedback are you getting, Yovina, from shoppers? I'm getting a lot of exactly what Megan just said. Like, I think it's really rare that fat people that are passionate about fashion walk into a space and they're surrounded by each other. Like, I don't have a lot of fat friends that also are passionate about fashion and, you know, there's many angles to look at that from, but perhaps it's because there's such a barrier to entry for fat people in fashion. But I, I kind of am one of my few friends that is a fat person and really loves shopping. Um, so I think it's just exciting for all of us to be around each other. And we're all like, I've never been in a space like this before. And the fact that we want to you know, grab a beverage together and chat and maybe get to know each other. Yeah. Obviously, there isn't any pressure. It's not like, you know, a mingling networking event, but it's just something that naturally happens that fat people want to be around other cool fat people that already have a similar interest. So I think it's just a, we're really trying to make it a safe space for people to explore and try new things on. And that is so far the feedback that I'm getting. I hope to somehow just make that even more of a possibility in the future. Like that's that's the goal. So Yovana, tell us about some of the vendors at Thick Mall. There's two types of vendors at Thick Mall. The first and what makes it so special is the personal collections aspect of it, which to qualify to be a vendor at Thick Mall, 
selling your personal collection. You just have to be a fat person with clothes. You don't have to have any experience. You don't have to run this as a business. Just if you're like me, and this is kind of what helps start it too, is like I have too much clothes. I'd love to get some new stuff. I'm not passionate about this stuff, but it's in great condition, and I think other fat people would really like it. Uh, So that's half of it. And I would like to make it more than half of it. Yeah. Um, because, that's great. That makes it easier for folks to be a part of this. Yes. I mean, that is, that's what's going to keep Thick Mall around. I actually just made a TikTok <laughs> to show people, like, how to be a vendor at Thick Mall. Did you? We love TikTok here yes. at Reset. I just started it a couple days ago because I was like, I need people to know that it's easy. Just be a fat person with clothes. Be available on the date of Thick Mall. Yes. Bring a rack, hang it up, and accept Venmo payments or PayPal, whatever you want. And what's your TikTok handle? Thick mall. Perfect. <laughs> nice and easy. Of course. I'm, I'm lucky that it was available. Um, and then the other uh, type of vendor at Thick Mall is local businesses. Um, while there aren't that many, there are a few that I really love. Uh, love Sick Plus being one of them. They are based out of Lost Girls Vintage and they have a West Town and Logan Square brick and mortar store which is so cool that that we've come to the point in history where that exists. Yeah, that's um, great. It's unfortunate that we have to be excited and grateful about it because it should have always existed, but it's so cool that it does exist. And then a couple of the other vendors is uh, there's Maddie from Thick Chick. She runs an online uh, Instagram-based store, um, but she does a lot of pop-up markets. And I believe we're the only one that's specifically – for Ellen Up uh, clothing that she does. But those are a couple of the vendors. There's also Goldie's Vintage, which is the same thing, um, an Instagram store. So it's a combination of just peers that yeah. are fat people with cute clothes that they want to sell and some people that have made this um, their business. That's some great passion. variety, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Megan, my producer tells me that you looked through some of your vintage clothes while you were prepping for this conversation. <laughs> so give us some of the highlights there. Yeah, uh, it was really fun reporting on this story and coming to talk with you today. It just has me thinking a lot about my personal wardrobe and what I gravitate to over the years. Um, so today I wore a sort of 80s oversized blazer. I am loving this. Uh, and a 1991 Bulls championship shirt, which is one of my proudest thrift store finds. Um, I love that. The flowers on that jacket are just incredible. Thank you. <laughs> nice um, detail. But yeah, it's nice too with vintage. I feel a real kind of kinship to the cool fat women who have come before me. Um, and there have always been fat people and there have always been fat people who love to wear clothes. Um, but sometimes it feels hard to love fashion and feel like fashion doesn't always love you back. And going to Thick Mall, walking into the room, I really felt the opposite of that, that We were all excited. We all could try on clothes in person, which is different from a lot of experiences shopping. And that everyone was just excited and encouraging and happy to be there. Yeah. Well, as I look at your your Bulls shirt, I'm thinking of the fact that a lot of thrifters and and vintage shoppers, they're drawn to pieces that have some kind of history. Mm -hmm. Is that the same for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, A story I always think about is there was a vintage shop that used to be in Andersonville that's closed now. And I went once and I think that either a storage unit had been cleaned out or maybe someone had died. But there were (laughs) all these sweaters in my size, bright patterned 80s sweaters that were exactly my style. And I could tell that this was someone's closet and I was buying from that person. And whenever I wear any of those sweaters now, I just think about like, oh, I wish I knew 
the person who owned these before me, the I story. bet we would have gotten yeah. along. Um, we could have swapped <laughs> clothes for the same size. And I think it's the same at Thick Mall with people bringing their personal collections. It's nice to have that connection to people and to clothes. Yeah. Well, I want to get your thoughts on this, Yovana, because aside from the issues of access that we've been talking about, what's the draw, do you think, of shopping vintage? Um, for me, it came out of what I felt was necessity to have the option to wear things that weren't the five options I could find at the mall. Yeah. Um, but also, it's kind of about the hunt, you know? I like the hunt, too. And yeah. my friends don't. Yes. <laughs> they they don't have the patience. Yes. And so we don't go shopping together. <laughs> I have a lot of friends like that, too. But I have the time, and I'll just stand there, and I'll comb through, and I'll find yes. these gems. And they're like, oh, where'd you get that? Exactly. I'm like, well, it was at the thrift store where you wouldn't go. Yeah. <laughs> There's something so triumphant about going through all the hangers and being like, oh, my gosh, this is cute. Oh, wait, it's in my size. Like, the first time that um, I ever wore trousers was because I found them at, I think, a Goodwill. And they were in my size, and they actually fit. And I was like, oh, I always thought that these wouldn't look good on me. Right. But it's $5, and I can afford this, and they look really good on me. And now I see this brand, so I'm going to go on eBay and look for this brand in my size yeah. and get four I'm more I'm like pairs. that, too. I'll stick with you forever, Yes, <laughs> whatever yeah. brand you are. So you've gotten a lot of attention since this New York Times piece. Yes. Do you have plans to expand Thick Mall in some way? Uh, yes. I think the major priority for me and what expansion looks like for me is more people knowing about this, understanding how easy it is to be a vendor and getting more people to apply and submit to be vendors selling their personal collection. Like that that to me is the priority. Um, Megan and I were just talking about this, but the only thing that dictates how accessible and inclusive uh, Thick Mall is, is the personal collections. We can only be as diverse as our vendors are. Yeah. So that to me is the next step, is getting different people from different neighborhoods with different styles uh, to, to sell. That's all I want to achieve. And once we have achieved making clothing accessible with different styles and different price points, then I'll worry about everything else. Yeah. Megan, you mentioned some of your favorites earlier, but where else do you see people or brands doing it right? I think that it's still so frustrating that brands that are carrying plus online and have decent plus size selection are still not carrying it in stores, which feels a little bit like we want your money, but we don't want you walking through our door. Mm. Um, but places I think are doing it right. I think Big Bud Press, which has a store here in Chicago, yes. has a really wide range of sizes. Um, I went there just the other week and I had so many things to try on, it was a little overwhelming, which is a good problem to have. Um, I think uh, Lovesick Plus, I was kind of stunned the first time I went there and found so many vintage pieces that I could try on again. I think that, again, I keep talking about them, but Old Navy has always done a pretty good job, and that has been one of the few places where I consistently have been able to go my whole life to try clothing on. Yeah. Um, but even Old Navy, they need to expand. I mean, they scaled back a little bit, to they be have. honest. So I, I'm glad to hear you sort of giving them praise, but it, it does show that we need to do better. Definitely. And it is frustrating to see a brand make progress and then kind of bounce back because 
it's great to carry an 18 or a 20 in stores, but that is not covering the range of people who are looking for clothes. And you just hope that they don't regress any further. Yeah, and it really feels horrible to go into a store where you think you can try something on and go through racks and not find anything. It makes me feel like I'm 12 years old at the mall with my friends again. So I just hope that we see more and more spaces like Thick Mall where you can walk in without that anxiety. Anything you would add, Jovana, to the people or brands doing it right? Big Bud Press, I do really have to say, they're, in comparison to a lot of fast fashion, a pretty small company. And from the beginning, that's been something that they offer in store. And it's the first time that I ever walked into a store with a straight-sized friend and we tried on the same jumpsuit. It wasn't like, oh, well, they have some stuff for me and it looks different than yours. We tried on the same thing. And I absolutely love that. I, I loved it. It was it changed my life. <laughs> Seems extreme to say, but it's it's it really was the first time that ever happened for me. Well, you know, I'm sure we've got listeners who want to know when is your next event? Uh, the next one is February 19th okay. at Sleeping Village. Um, and then we plan on having one a little bit later in spring and another one this summer. This episode of Reset was produced by Sarah Stark, and it was edited by Ethan Schwab. If you're finding this series thought-provoking, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with a friend. Word of mouth is still one of the best ways to support our show. That's all for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.